0: The History of the World Podcast Written and presented by Chris Hasler And this is the History of the World Podcast Unscripted Welcome, everybody, to another unscripted episode of the History of the World podcast. These unscripted episodes are not official episodes. In fact, we are between volumes now, and Volume 3 has finished... And we're awaiting the start of Volume 4, which will be a little bit later in the year. And in the meantime, what we're doing, we're doing some unscripted episodes, just so that we've got a presence, a weekly presence, so that we keep up that tradition that we've uh, started all of three years ago. And um, during these, um, these unofficial, unscripted episodes... Um, we're talking a little bit about what to expect uh, coming up from Volume 4. But then also we're sort of going back and uh, discussing a little bit more about the cultures that maybe we've come across and or some of the aspects of the ancient world, which maybe should have been given more attention during Volume 3. Of course, we can't talk about everyone... Um, we'd be here um, for, for years and years and years if we discussed every single culture in history. But some of those ones that we maybe could make a case for having their own episode that didn't get one. And this week, um, I am going to talk about a people who uh, have, have actually captured my attention during my studies for Volume 3. And they are the Xiongnu Nu and they are peoples from the the very eastern steppe of the asian landmass so sort of around the the, the lands of mongolia and we talked about them quite frequently during our episodes about uh, chinese history and uh, particularly um in relation to the qi dynasty and also the han dynasty the these people the xiongnu were very much a part of Chinese history and um certainly very much involved in the direction of history and politics in that area of the world and um this week we're just going to take a little bit of a an unofficial closer look at these people and just find out exactly who they were and and how they came about and and what happened to them eventually always one of the most fascinating things about people from the steppe are um, are their relationship with each other and we've spoken about steppe peoples and and very much in the in the uh in the prehistoric world we we saw um the emergence of people from the steppe as as people who domesticated the first horses the first uh, domesticated horses were 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 sort of created in in this area of the world, the the Eurasian steppe, which is a vast sort of grassland that stretches all the way from Eastern Europe right the way through to the Far East, and certainly around the lands of maybe uh, Kazakhstan and 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 you know that that sort of Asian area of the of the Eurasian steppe. That may have been the area where we, we saw the first horses domesticated. And of course, um, because of that, we also believe that it may be the birthplace of Indo-European languages and, and the the very first uh, language that we might be able to call an Indo-European language. We've, we don't know anything about the uh, original Indo-European language, but we use modern languages and their relationship to one another to um almost have a, an educated guess about this um mysterious language that we've uh, we've never actually seen physically and um this is all to do with the steppe people and then of course going forward through the volumes we were introduced to some of the um some of the interesting cultures of the steppe the scythians and um the the huns of course who came from that area and um, in the future, we'll be looking more at uh, other steppe cultures such as the Turks um, and the Mongols. So there's still a lot to talk about, but what is their relationship to each other? And if there, if there always is one, we don't really know if there always is one. And um, the Xiongnu are, are very much a part of that uh, puzzle some people like to claim that the the very infamous uh huns um who uh who invaded europe were maybe descendants of the xiongnu and um well we don't really know that for sure but some people very much speculate that it is a it is a strong possibility so uh so that's very interesting in itself um when discussing the Tiongnu is is, where, is whether they are ancestral to these uh, maybe better known steppe cultures the steppe cultures themselves are always known by comparison to uh civilization uh, or civilized uh kingdoms and empires they're always um distinct by the fact that they're they're recognized to be often nomadic or semi nomadic and that they roamed the grasslands looking for opportunities and maybe had summer and winter camps, for example, and uh, were not um, adverse to migrating. And normally they would always look to migrate westwards because of this um, interesting theory that um, the grasslands of the west, uh, the western steppe, were often more fertile. Um, the, the further west you went. So it was almost like a natural migration and a natural desire to move from east to west, which is uh, another reason why people do believe that the Xiongnu could have been um, ancestral to the Huns because of this natural migration westwards over the centuries. Uh, but we don't know that for sure, so it's, it's rather assumptuous and, and we shouldn't really... Um, uh, you know, really put too much credence in that because it's somewhat unproven. But um, you know, there is a school of thought that, that is for it as much as there is against it. So uh, interesting to speculate. But anyway, let's have a look at the timeline of the Xiongnu and uh, and sort of re- go over their story um, with a with a particular focus on them uh, directly. Now, most of the writings about uh, Far East history emanated from Chinese cultures, so we really don't know a lot about the Xiongnu um, before um, the Chinese saw fit to write about them, and really this came when um, the Qin Dynasty, um, under their Emperor Qin Shi Huang, um, started to uh started to expand their territory and and then it bec- it became apparent that there would be a clash uh, over lands in the north of china with those that belonged to this mysterious xiongnu tribe and um so qin shi huang um decided that the the emperor qin shi huang of course the, of the qin dynasty um he decided that it would be best to um, show some aggression towards the Xiongnu. And um, this almost had a bit of a backlash because the, the Qin dynasty actually did get overthrown um, after the lifetime of Qin Shi Huang. But what he had actually done, he'd actually created a, a somewhat of a militant um, coalition of um, Xiongnu tribes and this was uh, instigated by a man called Dung And Dung was instrumental in um, bringing the tribes of the Songnu together and um, creating what may be described as something more modern, something resembling much more of a, a modern institution by ancient standards. And so he would um, create um, a like a, a small empire of people who would um, who would stick together and and stick up for themselves in the face of Chinese aggression. The Xiongnu army would draw from the strengths that they had um, with regards to uh, their cavalry and their archers. So that they would have a much more organized army under um, moldung. and also they would um, have like a structured hierarchy where there would be like a class system and um, the the highest of them, including moldung himself would be uh, would be classed as the Chan Yu. So we start seeing that a lot of the uh, the main leaders of Chongnu tribes and and the new Empire uh, were referred to as Chang Yu. and so um, we refer to Mao Dong as Mao Dong Chang Yu as a consequence, so that's his more favoured name in terms of referring to history. The, the quirks of the Xiongnu are quite interesting actually, they're, they're said to have had um, like an equal society where men and women were regarded equal, but then also another quirk were that apparently um, the youngest people um, got all of the spoils of uh, you know, of the best food and, and the best um, equipment so that they could be uh, looked after much better the The old and the infirmed were were sort of um, disregarded somewhat. And, it, and this might have been because they realised the power of looking after uh, younger people um, would, you know, essentially uh, enable the new to stick up for themselves a lot better. And, and and maybe that was the reason why we've seen this kind of, you know, culture of, uh, of you know, gen- generating strong humans by means of uh, controlling the population, um, you know, in terms of, uh, we see that in uh, eugenics as well um, that kind of philosophy that was used by the spartans where you only sort of allowed the the strongest and the fittest to procreate and, and and there may have been that kind of mentality to the xiongnu as well if the if the young were were being looked after much better than the old now it seems possible that the xiongnu were not really um You know, natural warriors, their desire wasn't really warfare, Um, and it might have been the aggressions of uh, of the Chinese that that almost forced them into that kind of lifestyle, that kind of attitude. Um, Certainly, uh, Mao Dung proved to be a capable leader, and um, uh, at one point, the Chinese Emperor was actually taken prisoner after campaigning against them, and... uh, uh, that Tsiong Nu actually um, insisted upon uh, a ransom um, being received before that they they would release him. Um, the The skill of their craftsmanship enabled them to craft sort of weapons as well as sort of trinkets and jewelry, that kind of thing. And um, you know, so the the Chinese might have underestimated these people, might have seen them as inferior, when in actual fact. Um, they were very capable and you know quite a, a quite a good match um for the for the Chinese. The Xiongnu themselves um did also have to deal with neighbouring cultures such as the Yueji, who we mentioned many times during volume three as the the tribe who also migrated westwards um in the coming um centuries, decades and centuries. Uh, to to eventually land in the sort of the, the lands of Kazakhstan, sort of it, like Western Kazakhstan, and and then migrate southwards to become the uh, the ancestors of the uh, the Kushan Empire, who were uh, an essential um, an essential sort of middleman of the Silk Roads, uh, if you like. So. Um, we really see that these the steppe cultures really had a significant part to play in world history um just by these facts alone uh, but as we've already mentioned it, it's really um, it was really much more in the xiongnu's um nature to want to look for uh, peaceful terms and they would be quite happy to uh, organize marriage alliances with the chinese rather than uh, organize battles I think though that we can say with confidence that the Xiongnu never really trusted Chinese intentions and uh, and as the Han Dynasty um, took control of China and um, they sought to strengthen those uh, walls of the northern frontier of of China just to even just defend themselves from Xiongnu uh, aggressions counter aggressions even uh, whenever the Chinese tried to sort of uh, encroach on their lands um. The Xiongnu would have to be kept out by the construction of a great wall, which is uh, the the sort of precursor to what we now regard as the Great Wall of China. This was the somewhat the origins of that of of that wall was um, to to draw a line between the Chinese and the Xiongnu. Um, certainly, um, as different leaders of the Xiongnu. Um, came to came to power the sort of the nature of uh, the Tionggnu's intentions were different according to that leader as we would expect with any society. so some leaders um, showed more aggression towards the Chinese than others and to say that um, the relationship between the Tionggnu and the Chinese in general was, was was different degrees of strain throughout history would, would probably be the best way to sort of depict it. The as as one would expect, the Tiongnu uh, were were very much a pagan and, and a ritualistic group who, who sort of drank the blood of of sacrificed horses, for example. Um, this shouldn't be that surprising of a culture from from this era and and of this time and of of these lands. Throughout the period of um, of Han Chinese history, we um, we can see the emerging importance of westward trade routes. So China became more and more interested in trading with people from the west, which this really was the origins of, of the of the Silk Road. And uh, the Xiongnu represented a, a sort of a, a geographical enemy in accessing those western trade routes. And the Xiongnu recognised this and they, and they understood that they could be very troublesome to the Chinese and their, their intentions on gaining wealth by attempting to stand in their way and attempting to sort of block their route and maybe even control societies of that area directly west of where the Tiongnu actually sort of their heart end. So that, that really was the route to the west. And, and the Xiongnu could um, sort of compete with the Chinese for supremacy over the societies of, of those Western regions, as they as they would come to be called. It was a lot to do with these Silk Road tensions that uh, brought about the, the, the slow decline of the Xiongnu that uh, really... Sadly, sort of takes their takes away their their importance um, and and help because they were really quite a powerful and threatening uh, force against China. It was just really that their resources were were slender when it came to agriculture and when it came to manpower. That the Han were probably always going to be victorious in the end. All they needed to do really was expel. Uh, the the right amount of energy into the operation of subduing the Xiongnu, and uh, with the importance of the Silk Road, uh, the impetus was there for the Han to do that. Eventually, the the Xiongnu really just didn't have the resource to sustain themselves on an on an imperial level, and and certainly by comparison to the Han, and uh, we find that the the whole system, the whole Xiongnu Empire um was straining uh to keep itself together and ultimately it did fragment with the southern tribes of the xiongnu um being consumed into chinese lands and the chinese sort of treated them quite fairly and and granted them um a degree of liberation that would um that would keep them loyal to the chinese and certainly it, you know against their northern Xiongnu cousins who were really left out in the cold and, and, and due to their their low numbers and, and the, the harshness of the lands that they lived on they were really not able to gain any kind of power whatsoever um, and just remained uh, like a a fringe, um, a fringe group of tribes that really just did not trouble Han China ever again the southern xiongnu would be involved heavily in the um, in the fragmentation of northern china when uh, after the after the period of the han dynasty and those uh, those many centuries of fragmentation of china the the southern xiongnu were in control of their own uh, sort of areas of northern china um, but the northern uh, the northern xiongnu really sort of succumbed to the chimbei who were another uh, another group of tribes um, to the east of uh, the Xiongnu heartlands and, and to the north of the Korean Peninsula, that area of the world. So uh, that was really the end of, of the Xiongnu. The, they really just got consumed by other cultures e- uh, eventually. But a long time after there was this great uh, coalescence of of. Xiongnu tribes who were being led so ably by uh, leaders such as Muldun um, Chang Yu, who um, who really ha- probably had the Chinese very worried at one point, especially um, when they captured the Chinese emperor. So that's that's a considerable claim to fame, and um, you know um, their the, uh, their eventual demise really doesn't justify. Um, what they achieved uh, with what little resource they had. So, um, there you go, that's sort of a brief overview of the Xiongnu, a little bit of a respectful view of them um, as a, v- a very interesting part of Far East history. Um, certainly, um, you know, so- something I think that the Mongolians can be very proud of when looking at their own ancient history. They can uh, consider the Xiongnu to be uh, a very, uh, a very proud period of their history. Now, moving forward, um, we're attempting to look forward to the to the start of Volume Four, and uh, possibly, I don't know, maybe October. We're looking at that, um, but I will give you more updates as the as the weeks go by. Uh, certainly i think we're also going to have two special episodes one will be um based um r- around the island of iceland uh, and another one uh, will be based um on the modern country of the united states so a couple of special episodes a couple of unexpected episodes but they're written for uh, the for the pleasure of those uh, patrons who of the podcast, who've contributed an amount over an amount of time, and um, and it's my pleasure to be able to present these episodes. Now, um, if you want to be a patron of the podcast, you can you can do this um, by visiting the History of the World Podcast dot com website and clicking on the Patreon link where you can sign up and make uh, monthly donations. And when you do, we induct you into um, our own special little club called the History of the World podcast, Illuminati. And um, we have one new member to welcome into the History of the World podcast, Illuminati, this week, and his name is Jorge Benitez. So thank you very much for your kind contribution, Jorge. And uh, welcome to the History of the World podcast, Illuminati. Um, If you want to be a member of the History of the World podcast, Illuminati, why not go to the uh, the Patreon link, And uh, check out some of the rewards and awards that you can receive uh, for your monthly contributions. We, of course, add it all up as well. You don't have to make a big monthly contribution. Um, If you make um, any kind of contribution over any amount of time, we we will still be happy to provide you with these gifts. So go and have a look and see what you can gain from it. Now, I did receive a message from a gentleman called Ben Barrett this week. Uh, It's quite a long message, so I'm not going to read the whole thing out, but um, essentially he did um, point out a few facts about uh, the writing systems of the Far East, which was a subject that we tackled uh, during Volume 2, I believe, if if my memory serves me correctly. I think maybe around episode twenty one twenty two something something like that, but we we studied the story of ancient writing systems and and how they developed over time and how they emerged um whether that whether they be alongside or independently from each other and certainly um the one of the most fascinating aspects about Chinese writing systems is that it's uh, it's one of those ones that survived um the test of time. And uh, Ben Barrett's written, um, I am an occasional listener to the podcast and absolutely love it. In Volume 2, Episode 22, History of Writing, Part 2, there is a brief mention of Chinese and Japanese, and there are a couple of points I would like to make suggestions about. First, that school children in China um learn around uh 3000 characters but that japanese far surpasses that with more than 50000 characters also that the purpose of romaji romanized japanese is for communicating japanese on the internet um, what uh, ben has done is sort of provided a, a bit a bit of a sort of a, a synopsis or or a or an overview i should say that's probably a better word for it Um, regarding um, these uh, two um, writing systems, Chinese and Japanese, and how they have been affected by uh, the conditions of the world changing over the years. And um, I've invited Ben to um, post this um this comment uh, for the for the good of everybody it's, it is it's lovely when you do send me such messages um but i do believe that they should be shared with the with a number of people not just me um i'm not the only one interested in in the history of writing i'm sure a great many of you are and you deserve to sort of enjoy this together so we do have a a, a community um available for people to discuss things a discussion forum and in order to find that uh, just go to the history of the world website go to the interact section and then click on the discussion forum join up it's very easy you just join up just create a username and a password that's that's pretty much it and then join in start raising discussions and um you know the more people that are um that are willing to discuss things uh the more active the forum will become so um, hopefully at some point we'll really see some energy uh, from everyone into that forum and uh, we'll open up some discussions so that people can share their points of view um because uh, most people just want to be listened to so um and, and it's it's not it's not always easy to find somewhere to go where you can be listened to so if you've got a point of view um it's great to be able to share it with people who are genuinely interested in the subject matter that you want to talk about so i would encourage you to get involved but thanks for the message ben uh, it's very kind of you to send that and, and a lot of compliments were uh, were attached to it as well so thank you ben now, if my calculations are correct, I think that we may be, as a podcast, we may be around the 2 million downloads uh, mark. So if I, if I think that when we were uh, distributing podcasts through Audio Boom in that first two years, we, we had around about 700,000 downloads. But since we switched uh, to Anchor, Um, Obviously, there's going to be more listeners because we've got more episodes out there and and it has naturally sort of expanded its audience. So we've had around 1.3 million downloads since we made that switch. And so in total, that makes about 2 million downloads. So in just over three years, 2 million downloads. So thank you very much, everyone who has listened to this podcast and, and to everyone who has supported this podcast. Quite a milestone I'm sure you will agree Anyway that's it for this week Thank you very much Join us again next week for more unscripted stuff um, While we're in this little Hiatus between uh, Volumes 3 and 4 And uh, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode And until next week Don't forget to be good Come to the the Historyoftheworldpodcast.com And join all the other hot welders on our wide range of social media why not support the podcast by clicking the patreon link or buying me a book and becoming a lifelong member of the history of the world podcast illuminati drop me a line at history of at and let me know what you thought of this week's episode see you next time